Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I'm Jeff Rubin, here today with College Humor's Pat Castles. How you doing today, Pat? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You know, we never, we never stopped hanging out, but it's great to be back on recorded media with you. Yeah, absolutely. Today is going to be our summer movie review episode. Historically, I think you and I, when we're, we're talking on camera, we're talking about video games, but you're actually, I'd say, is, is fair to say, you're a little more into movies than video games. Yeah, um, this, this power trip is incredible. I'm just, it's the total inverse of the norm. And particularly, I think you and I both share a passion for uh, summer movies. I'm doing air quotes around summer that no one can see. Summer movies, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the big blockbusters. And I think we both, particularly you, enjoy smaller movies too, but it's always good to see, like, I always want to see, like, the biggest movies of the year. I want to see, like, what they're trotting out, and that's summer's the prime time for that. Yeah, absolutely. There's also, like, there's less pressure when you're seeing them. Sometimes when you see smaller movies or movies that are Oscar movies, there's, like, a... There's, pr- there's a pressure to like them or to dislike them, and these are kind of, you know, just sort of, you can just sort of lay back, and there's, I saw The Lincoln Lawyer a couple of months ago, and it was like, n- the movie was not that great, but it was such a relief to see a movie where there was like, no one really cared about the movie, and I lo- it looked pretty good, but it, c- it could have gone either way, and it was No just, pressure to like it, you're saying. Exactly. That's how into movies Pat is. Pat saw The Lincoln Lawyer. <laughs> that's, if that's not being into the world of cinema, yeah. I don't know what is. So, get this conversation started. What was the best movie you saw this summer? The best movie I saw this summer was um, Attack the Block, which was this a slightly smaller movie. Not sorry to, I hope not like yeah yeah. Everyone's, everyone's just, like tuning in like let's hear them talk about Transformers. Yeah yeah. But this it's a real it's not an arty movie. No, this at is all. good. People should know. I I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard nothing but good things, and I want you to tell people. I want you to convince people to see it, like you have convinced me. Yeah, I can. I I highly highly recommend it. It's just you know it's about these it's about this alien that invades a sort of housing project uh in east london and you know that that's the general setup but it's not it it very quickly like becomes something more than just that like gimmicky setup i'm intentionally trying to avoid i'm because i'm at this point i'm going to see it so i'm trying and i don't know anything about it which is always exciting when you're going into a movie not knowing anything about it absolutely trying to hear less about it but uh it's there's an edgar wright connection too isn't there I, i believe he produced it and the guy that directed it is the guy that he Edgar Wright co-wrote the upcoming Tintin movie with, so I think they're they, they're they're friends. And then um, the person I saw with Tom, who we both know, mm-hmm. um, he told me this guy was apparently he wrote for Empire Magazine for a long time, so he comes from like a world of just like he's just been like a movie fan for years and years, and this was like he just came out of the gates swinging. Edgar Wright's one of those people that's so good, you know, he did uh, Scott Pilgrim and uh, Shaun of the Dead mm-hmm. and uh, Hot Fuzz, all of which are so good that just. Anyone in his orbit, just being in his orbit, makes me interested in seeing your product. Yeah, he he does um, like comedy sci-fi so well, you know, and that's mm. not. I feel like that that he like totally revived the genre, you know. And this one's a pretty. This one's less tongue in cheek than Edgar Wright's movies. Um, it very quickly becomes like I won't give any other plot points away, but it very quickly just becomes like a, you, it's genuinely. I was genuinely sus- suspenseful. It was, it was It was very exciting. I get the sense, and I haven't seen it yet. And it just came out a week or two ago, I guess, in America. Mm-hmm. Right? Was it was it out in England first? Yes. But I get the sense this is the movie of the summer. This is the sleeper hit of the summer already. Like I'm hearing so much good stuff about it, and it's like like a virus spreading. Like everyone's telling everyone to go see it, and I, I get the sense there's always one of those every summer. Like uh, yeah. What, what was it last year? I don't. I don't really know what it was last year. I mean, it's all. There's all one fun. of them every summer except last year. Yeah, that was. The, yeah, exactly. I, I, it's been a while since I saw. Him. Well, you know, Splice was last year. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It didn't. That 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 said, the movie it was a. Sli- it wasn't a huge hit. Successful. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't super successful. But I know you. I liked it a lot. I know you I liked Splice. it a lot. And it was just this kind of. 
And it's very, actually, they share some similarities. They're very, very quirky, low-key science fiction films that are, also, that are just great. All right, so I haven't seen it yet, but I'm already, I'm already willing to vouch for it almost. It sounds like people should go see Attack the Block. Got that out of the way. Nice. What was your favorite summer movie with a marketing budget of over $50 million? I guess the two I enjoyed most were uh, Harry Potter mm-hmm. uh, and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which I've actually, I, and I, have not, I have not read all the Harry Potter books. I haven't read any of them. I've mm-hmm. just seen all the movies. So I, it kind of caught me off guard. I mean, I, I was, I, even the movies themselves, I thought, were okay. But then those, the last three or four, because I, I had to sort of play catch up before this, before I that, the weekend the movie came out, and the first few I'm not, I don't think are, I'm not that excited about. And then those in the last three movies, it just, they just find this really cool like dark style with Vol and Voldemort is such an awesome character, and the makeup they use on Ralph Fiennes is really good. And that seventh movie, I mean, that last movie. Granted, it had seven previous movies of like emotional buildup, so mm-hmm. it was kind of cheating. But I was, I, I, I was choking up, you know? And I was like, I audibly cheered when Ron and Hermione kissed. I did read the books. Uh, I'm, I've only read them once, just to give you an idea of my level. I read all the mm-hmm. books, but only once. And the movies never totally did anything for me. It, it was almost like watching a greatest hits of the book. It's unexciting to see a movie where I know it, everything that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I didn't read, so I, like I said, I hadn't read the book, so I think I had that, I had that like pleasure of just enjoying them. Although I knew so, certain plot points. Did you know the ending? Because I when the Harry Potter books, about the time five, Order of the Phoenix came out, is when things really turned, and like you had to read the book the weekend it came out because of, because of the spoiler, like the the spoiler. They were they were so large that you yeah. had, you didn't want to hear the spoilers. And I know for the fifth, sixth, and seventh books, like when I got them, I like hunkered down for a weekend and just like attacked attacked mm-hmm. them. I wasn't I. Missed the releases of one through four. I got on it kind of late, and it's amazing how much faster you can read when you're like into when you're into a book like that. Because I'm like, I'm not trying to read slow when I'm when it's not Harry yeah. Potter. It's a, how how why is my body ingesting these words at such a faster pace? Definitely like faster than I would have preferred, faster than I maybe could have enjoyed it. But I'm curious, did you not reading the books, not being interested in the books, did you know how the seventh movie was going to end before you saw it? Did you know how the saga ended? Um, yes, I knew the very broad strokes. I knew like about the flat, this sort of flash forward 15 or 20 right. years. Um, and, but, and, and I kind of also knew it's such a, archetyp- yeah, like what, what happened? Like I'm now that I'm thinking like, what is there to learn? Like, Oh, Harry defeats Voldemort in good reigns. Yeah. Know? It wasn't like a spoilery movie. Like there's nothing yeah. in it that would have ruined it if I had it. But there's I, spoilers in the previous Harry Potter movies, which I think, I'm pretty anal about spoiler alerts. We might go in and like drop a like, guys. We're gonna talk about. I'm I, I'm willing to go back and drop in later. Like, guys, you oh. might, if you haven't seen it yet, skip in the next few minutes. But I, I feel at this point, if you don't know what happens in the previous Harry Potter books, that that doesn't warrant a spoiler alert. Anyway, the previous Harry Potters like uh, have huge spoilers in it, like Snape killing Dumbledore at the end of uh, Harry Potter six, which is the Half Blood Prince. Snape kills Dumbledore is like shorthand for like epic spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, but then I, by the time you get to the end, it's more of like a good versus evil thing. Yeah, I just, I just, I had just through osmosis, I had picked up little little plot points and stuff like that. But it was still like it wasn't about like for me what I enjoyed it because it, it was like all these characters like 
banding together. I mean, the, the best like ten minutes, uh, the, the best ten minutes or fifteen minutes is like when they they finally get back to Hogwarts and like everyone's rallying up for this big battle. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the end of Battlestar when they're like, there's like all these characters you've known for so long, like coming together and like rallying up, and it was just so exciting you know when maggie smith was great yeah yeah she was really exciting and it's so fun when snape was like flip-flopping around and the uh-huh. it seems to me as someone who read the books and again isn't a huge fan but read the books it was always hard for me to imagine someone who hasn't read the books enjoying the movie because there's so many random instances of like oh you must talk to like like yeah where you're expected to appreciate the history of like hufflepuff yeah i i did feel like i was missing certain things and, and and actually the mythology of it and the 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 Voldemort sort of backstory I, was a little unclear to me which I guess says a lot just to the filmmaking quality and how and the acting and just how it was still able to like emotionally carry me and but like I said the movies just, I think they just those last three movies they just entered this cool dark I mean there's a scene in the I guess spoiler alert there's a scene in the last movie where when Snape dies mm-hmm. and they cut to it's you know he's killed by Voldemort's snake yeah and they cut to like outside the greenhouse or outside the boathouse and there's like this pane of glass that that Snape is lying against and you just hear the snake like biting him and his head's thudding against the, the glass and it's like super it's very like artistic and morbid and horrifying it, there's just so much to get into a Harry Potter movie that I feel like in Harry Potter. Uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 within that movie like Ron there's barely any time for like Ron and Hermione like there's just no time for anything like Ron is barely in that movie Hermione's just like oh Ron had a great plan while we were off screen over there you know and you're just because of the history you're expected to like care about that yeah I know like there was definitely a lot of characters who you'd like you'd grown to love and then like you, you cut, cuts away to Harry like running around Hogwarts and it cuts back and it's like this guy died this guy died this guy died yeah. and just <laughs> in the background it's like whoa whoa I'm not even sure if uh George or Fred, one of the twins dies, the Weasley twins dies in the book. Did he die in the movie? I wasn't even sure. I don't know. I actually saw the movie with my parents and uh, someone was dead and my dad was like, who is that? And it was uh, Remus, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's, it, and like, they're still like panning up his body. And I was like, oh, that's his brother. And then they got to the top. I was like, never mind, never mind. That's not dead yet. Never oh, mind. okay. <laughs> uh, oh, you see, you spoiled it for your dad. I guess. I'm sure he was devastated. Yeah. But when he's like, who is this? And it's Remus. Like, how do you explain that? Like, all right, well, twenty before this story even took place, Harry's dad was friends with these four. Like, yeah. how in the middle of the movie do I whisper the history of uh, all this thing? Had your parents seen the previous movies or read the books? I think they had seen some of them. I don't think they read the books. I wanted you to talk about, before we forget, the marquee at the movie theater where you saw it. Oh, yeah. Well, I saw it at Regal Union Square, and they had this weird LED marquee out front where they type in the names of the movies themselves. And they Which were, you can always tell. You can always tell. It's like they, really bad, like MS Paint style. And they had boiled in a high part of the Deadly Hallows a long they, name. They, yeah, they'll, they'll always boil it. Like you can always tell that they've like it's not totally official. Like it'll be like if it's Planet of the Apes, it'll be like apes. Yeah. Well, they had called it Harry Potter Seven B on the marquee. Which really kind of was the most unexciting title you could give it. Harry was like filing it in a cabinet. Yeah, Harry Potter Seven B. Yeah, it sounds like you got a, like a yeah. It sounds like a tax document or something. Really, like just stripping all of the romance and the the magic out of it. That's, I think that's going to happen more though because you know Twilight's they're breaking the next Twilight into two Hunger parts. Games is doing that too. Yeah, I mean the guy. It's, it's like the math of movies is getting weird. It's like there's spinoffs and like two parts and it's like it's going to be like fractals at some point. The guy at Warner Brothers who was like, looking at Harry Potter 7, he was like, what if we made this two movies? I hope that guy is insanely rich. Because yeah. he, that was, I, I mean, I guess I don't hope he's, in, but you know, 
Honestly, it did serve Harry Potter. Like, there still wasn't really enough room in two movies to tell the complete story. I, I don't think it was a terrible artistic choice. Yeah, and this... Obviously, they did it to make an extra billion dollars. And, like, that single decision not only made them an extra billion dollars, but it made the the Hunger Games and the Twilight, all these people are like, yes. Yeah. We'll split the books into two movies. And it's so, it's so simple. It's like an idea, like a janitor who was just, like, mopping by the door <laughs> as he was walking by. But, yeah, I mean, and it doesn't... It kind of made the movie better because that second movie, it's definitely the tightest of all the movies. Yeah, I think Harry Potter 7 could have been like a season of a TV show. It's enormous. Yes. I mean, that's the other thing. I think the show, like I said, it kind of like run me a Battlestar a little bit with the sort of rallying of the troops at the end. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it had that power that like TV has now of just like that movies, even really good movies are great. And, the, you know, but the one thing they can't do is like you can't spend. 10 years of your life with these characters, you know, and then... Right, right, right. So you said you had two favorite movies. One was Harry Potter. What's the other? I think it was uh, this weekend's Planet of the, Rise right. of the Planet of the Apes. Which Pat and I just saw hours before recording it, so I'm, I'm, I was excited about that, too. I think that was my favorite movie of the summer. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be... The, I, like you just said, we just saw it. We just it, saw it. So, so we're real excited, yeah. but I think I could objectively say like it was one of the best movies of the summer. The movie does not star James Franco. The, he's, no. He's first in the credits. Caesar, Caesar's the star of the yeah, movie. Caesar, Caesar's calling the shots there. Yeah. And uh, I would describe I describe the movie as so good it made the woman next to me shut up for a second during like the big moments of the movie. She even she was speechless. Yeah, I mean, do you want to get plot points of this movie away? Or is you know, it... it's weird with Planet of the Apes because first of all, the movie's called Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and, and it's set on Earth, right? And everyone knows yeah. the, the twist from the Planet of the Apes. And additionally, all of the marketing material has the apes storming San Francisco, mm-hmm. which is I think somewhat obviously the you know towards the end of the movie let's say and i was i was commenting actually right after the movie how much more exciting which i i did like the movie a lot but if i had never seen the commercials and and seen none of the footage yeah, like, yeah. i had no idea this that the scale this was going to evolve to just i think it would have been even better even still I, even knowing the general direction it was going um i think one of the reasons i liked and i, I imagine one of the reasons you liked it as well was you never really knew where it was going, just even though, scene, for scene by scene. Even though you do know where it's going. The movie opens, the very first thing in the movie is the title, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. That's like second one mm-hmm. of the movie. So they're telling you, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. But how you get there is not totally expected, and that's exciting. I think what what surprised me was, like you said, how much it doesn't star James Franco. It's really just about these... There, there are like long stretches of scenes with no dialogue except yeah. ape grunting and sign language, and it and works. Stuff. And it works. It, it like could have been a disaster, but it totally works. No, it, yeah. I mean, there's like there was a ch- there was a chuckling in the theater, but it was like a good natured chuckling. Like people were like genuinely applauding when Caesar was triumphing in one you way. You get into Caesar's story, like when Caesar yeah. starts fucking shit up, and I guess that's you know you know Caesar's gonna start fucking yeah, shit. Yeah. But like you, you're so invested in it that like. Uh, it's exciting when he does it. it. It really was. Yeah. So Caesar is played by Andy Serkis, and it's a motion capture thing. Uh, Andy Serkis is like, I guess maybe the only person on Earth who does this, as far as I can tell. He yeah, he's got crap. that. He's got that market. Cor- who's the second best? Who's who's your second favorite motion capture actor? <laughs> right. He, did yeah. he was uh, King Kong, and also in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Of course, he was Gollum, where he kind of invented and like called people's attention to this. Yeah. And watching the movie, I felt. Uh, I felt excited for him because I think he will go with There's a lot of debate about, you know, uh, especially after Return of the King, like, can this be nominated for an Oscar? And I think that'll probably simmer for a while and it will eventually come around to it. 
And like it's like gay marriage. Like eventually everyone will catch up with the times and recognize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly like gay marriage. I want to equate that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's that important of a. Well, social it's more important. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, he. He, I think he will be recognized in some amount of time for looking back, for pioneering this whole new art form. What he did as Gollum and what he did in this movie is not going away. It's obviously totally awesome. Yeah, I, I, this one stands out. I mean, the Gollum, his performance as Gollum, I guess King Kong was kind of a lead performance, but not... This movie, like, like we said, he's the star of the movie. It's like kind of the first like mocap star of a movie maybe maybe that um, not that isn't like that isn't in that Robert Zemeckis like yeah like the Christmas Carol or uh yeah yeah you know what he might be like Gollum and Gollum's obviously a major character in Lord of the Rings but he's not the star of the movie so they like they must they really had to rely on like it not being they had to at some point the people making Rise of the Planet of the Apes had to make this leap that like okay like we're gonna have a dude playing a monkey and this movie will not work unless like the audience is genuinely like emotionally tearing up over his predicament and it told and it works the movie had a lot to overcome too because how skeptical are you of that second reboot in 10 years yes yeah yeah well you know what the game it's interesting planet of the apes the tim burton one which is not that long ago uh the game has changed since then like obviously the technology has advanced to a point and that allowed them to tell the story in a completely different way. Well, I, you know, the problem with that with that one, what, the makeup in, that, in, the, in the Tim Burton was awesome. The problem was technology wasn't the problem. Like, yeah, yeah, that movie had a lot of problems <laughs> beyond that. But they could have done this. This was not Advancements in storytelling technology <laughs> has changed. I hate that. That planet of the apes. We were talking about it. I don't think I dislike it as much as you do. I, th- I, the, I know the ending. I resent the ending. <laughs> I'm like, I think it's insulting. I think. I think what happened there was like, you know, when Tim Burton made that, obviously the original Planet of the Apes, uh, the, I think we've already addressed this spoiler, and it's not even a spoiler anymore, because this new movie essentially is all about it, but like, the Planet of the Apes is Earth, and it's like one of the most famous twist endings of all time, and uh, so I think maybe Tim Burton felt like he had to pay homage to like every important beat of Planet of the Apes, including a, the twist ending, but he couldn't do the same one. Right, right. And so he's like, what'll mine be? The new Planet of the Apes did remind me a lot of a movie we already mentioned uh, that you and I both loved last year. You mean the new Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The newer, the newest Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the new one, uh, reminded me a lot of a movie we already mentioned that you and I both really enjoyed, which was Splice. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the first act of both this and Splice are kind of about taking this lab experiment home and like, yeah. you know, playing God and hiding it from the corporation and the experiment grows and matures and becomes like a person and part of the family. And, yeah. Uh, and the movies then diverge. They're, they're not that redundant. But that first act was very reminiscent of Splice, I thought. Uh, the movie was kind of very... The one thing about the movie, I guess... By the way, like, Splice is incredible. Go yeah. See, also go see Splice if you haven't seen Splice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, and it, there's like a lot of questions of like, in both movies about like... Um, Testing lab experiments as like becoming like surrogate children to you because James Franco yeah. and that's what caused us. That's when I was like, okay, this movie is like giving me something different here. Like he's taking the he's raising the monkey. They jumped to five years later and like Caesar's just living with John Lithgow and James Franco. Both movies feature incredibly unreasonable boards of genetic companies who are like developing medicines where like one thing goes wrong and they're like, we don't care what incredible things have already happened. We're shutting it down forever and never want to hear anything else about it. Yeah, because of this one high stakes demonstration that goes wrong in both uh, Splice and Planet of the Apes. The movie also kind of had like a um, I didn't, it was very cavalier about like monkey ownership laws because yeah. the first act of, <laughs> for the first act of the movie, like, even more James Franco like owns Caesar as a pet and it's kind of a secret but not really and then like 
they have to, it's very we it's very unclear like can it, what the legality of what he's doing is like in terms of raising this money and who knows it proposes like according to this movie like it's totally legal to own a, a chimpanzee in in San Francisco <laughs> I think that was my favorite movie this summer because what I what I look for when I see a movie is something that I haven't seen before and there were elements in that movie like there were some shots of Caesar just reacting to things where I was like this is cool this is something new and I don't know that any other movie this summer at all gave that to me there was no Usually, you mean you mean no other movie had a, a gorilla riding a horse with a spear? Yeah, not even a little bit. Usually, you can at least rely on one Pixar movie. We didn't have that this summer. Let's not even talk, let's just not talk about that. Oh yeah, I, maybe we should. I do. I, I, I wait. That, that Cars two came out this summer, right? Yeah, yeah. I we got it. I, I feel like I have you. Not to turn this interview around, but I have you in the hot seat. Here. I, I wanted to get. I got my Cars two thoughts out, and I think it's at the beginning of the Scott episode. I talked about. I like. I was just like. I just. I just had to get it off my chest, you know. And you just like wait. Did it was it a dialogue? Or did you just like? It was ran? just like it was me. I just like opened the show with ten minutes of all me right. talking about cars too. All right, okay. So well, all right. So you don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about <laughs> okay. cars too anymore. And I don't even do that. It was like I haven't totally figured out how to open the show. This is the first one I think that I introduced with the guest here next to me because I just I wasn't doing the intro was like this whole other thing. But if you look back at the history of the first, this is the I am thinking to be the seventh episode of this show. The first six is like maybe one or two minutes at the top of each show about something else. The Cars 2 one is like eight minutes of me just being like, and another thing. <laughs> is this basically like a, a Sam Kinison rant yeah. about Cars 2? Yeah, so usually it's like, what's the best movie of the summer besides the Pixar movie? That's the question I have to ask myself. Sure, sure. This summer it's at, like, what, do, what do you want to know about Cars 2? Um, well, you, you, it was not good, so right? Bad. And I guess you listening at home, Jeff is like, the biggest Pixar fan in the world. Like I think Gabrus pointed out, <laughs> I'm in Jeff's apartment right now, and Gabrus has also pointed out certain things in here, but uh, there's like a, a, literally a shelf full oh, of I, Pixar I give, stuff. I went through an itemized list in the other episode. Oh, okay, <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, so Jeff, Jeff is basically like a nine-year-old's bedroom. Jeff is a huge Pixar fan, biggest one I know, and so which is weird because everyone. I, I was think I, I think I said this too then, but like everyone likes Pixar movies. True. Like, so what do you have to do to be a fan above those people? Yeah. That's the question I ask myself every day. I mean, ha- like own a shelf like the one I'm looking at right now. I guess <laughs> is the answer. Yeah, there is one shelf that is entirely devoted to. There's a handful of Simpsons toys, but the rest is all incredible miniatures. Let me ask you this. I'll okay. ask you this one question about Cars 2, then, we, you know, yeah. if you want, we, can, we don't have to talk about it anymore if you don't want <laughs> ever again. Because um, I'm kind of genuinely curious about this. I, even more than disappointed, I'm, 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 I'm very confused why, how this movie came to exist. Because it, like, it wasn't like a gradual downfall. There's no, like, you know, the pre, Toy Story 3 is arguably their best movie yeah. ever. Yeah. And, uh... It seems so sudden and abrupt. What, like, why, what do you think happened? You know, I don't know. Like is they're it, not. They're you know they're not lazy. They're not just trying. Yeah, to they obviously a, know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean you don't you don't make like eleven great movies in a row, but like, not even eleven great movies. Eleven movies like they made in a row by accident. So to what do you attribute the the change in? in I don't totally know. I guess if I I mean it's hard to say without being there. Obviously something went wrong, and it's hard to speculate what. I, if I had to guess, I'd say this is probably one of the first, and I'm I'm guessing I could probably look this up if I was like I'm sure, that, and I'm sure there's someone who has who's like the next level up from me in Pixar yeah. fandom. Uh, this is probably one of the first movies I think that they started developing since being purchased by Disney, and I hope that's not it because that would bode poorly for the future. Sure, yeah, but that certainly seems like a potential culprit. I mean, everyone's blaming the, the merchandising on it. I heard someone explain though 
that uh, John Lasseter, who directed this, but also is like one of the founders of, you know, one of the core, core people mm-hmm. at Pixar, and he also did Toy Story, like the first one. Um, and someone explained to me that he loves making toys, and not in like... In a totally, in the good kind of way. Not in a, like, he loves making money off the toys. (laughs) He genuinely enjoys making characters who will be toys. And he really just unleashed on that for Cars 2. And if you watch that movie, it's, like, the poster for that movie is, like, a Toys R Us flyer. There's, like, a flying car, and then there's, like, Mater with a rocket pack. It's, God, it's so bad. And you had mentioned, like, their last couple movies are not especially... Toy conducive. No, I mean, up as stars no, like an old person and an eight-year-old fat I, kid. No, no, no. So yeah. usually you have the Pixar movie. Get back on track. Usually you have the Pixar movie, and at least one other good movie, like say Inception, or just like something else that really breaks the mold. Mm-hmm. And this summer, I felt like everything was so so safe. Even the movies I liked that, uh, like I liked Thor. I liked X Men a lot. Uh, I liked. I didn't even hate Transformers three, but like. Yeah, talk about movies that you can't spoil. There's nothing I can say about Transformers Three that'll spoil it for you. There's, there's just because there's nothing in it. There's nothing yeah, to it. Yeah, we should talk about Transformers. All right, at some so we point. saw Transformers Three. Yeah. Uh, the worst part together, of- Jeff and I saw us. <laughs> we didn't see every movie together. We saw a lot of them together, but not all of them. The worst part of Transformers Three was, and there's, there's a few candidates, and it's not as bad as Transformers Two, and it's not as bad as some other movies I saw this summer, mm-hmm. like Green Lantern. Uh, should we talk about that's another one we've like really chew with yeah, if you watch an old nerd alert we kind of chew all the meat off that movie but but Transformers uh, the worst part was the comedy there's this one scene yeah, yeah. where Shia LaBeouf who can't get a job and he's going through the job interview process and it's like this like it's just this is like classic bad comedy like uh, it's a job interview montage where he's messing up all the different job interviews yeah. and I would I wanted to take uh, I wanted to take Shia LaBeouf and Michael Bay, and bring them to our theater. Because even the bad cop, most of the bad jokes in that movie get a laugh. Like Ken Young, who's very funny, he, he's not, these aren't great jokes, or Alan Tudyk, these are like talented actors, like really selling bad jokes, and they get laughs in the mm-hmm. theater because it's such a general audience. At least acknowledgement that a joke's been yeah, told. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a few people laugh. But this job interview montage was all Shia LaBeouf doing all, like carrying all the water there. Yeah. Audience is just silent. <laughs> Eight-year-old boys not even abused by what's going on. Yeah. And I wanted to take them there and show them like, just how badly they were bombing. And there's so much of that. It's so overstuffed. Every, it's like a Bollywood movie. It's got like yeah, comedy yeah. and romance and well, action. I think, I think the action movies... They need to have comedy, and like you know, like, like Die Hard like made that amazing discovery. Yeah. Like if you make some jokes in there in an action movie, it's awesome. And Transformers, like it's just they've gone too far with it. Every character in it, and the, Part Two had this problem as well. And we talked about this, but like every character is comic relief. So John Turturro's comic relief, but then his assistant is like his comic relief. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. John Malkovich is in it. Remember that? Yeah. It, it, like, you could cut John Malkovich's scenes out of the movie Absolutely. without touching another second of the film, and it would still make just... You're right. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried to... I was talking to a friend about it who hadn't seen the movie, and I was like trying to explain why I didn't like it. I, I don't... I really feel... I, I, almost, I almost feel bad I'm chewing into this movie so badly, but it wasn't that good. Uh, but, like, I was trying to... I, I was trying to explain why I didn't like it, and there's all these ridiculous characters in it and stuff. And, you know, I, I think I, I'm... Usually I'm... I, not to brag, but I, I can sort of I can verbalize in a nice, nuanced, specific way why I like or dislike a movie. But as I was talking, I just I, I couldn't I couldn't get it any more like nuanced and like basically it was long and stupid. It's so long. It's two and a half yeah. hours long, which is insane. It's so 
And like I remember right before the movie started, you were like, Do you know how long this is? And I was like, it's like two and a half hours and like lights go down. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my god, what, what are we getting into? We walked out of that movie and I think the part that you and I liked the most was the cameo from Buzz Aldrin. Oh was, my god, that was so funny. Because <laughs> they're like, they're in mess or something and Buzz Aldrin. We, 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 we knew that he was in the movie, yeah, but yeah. we thought it'd be like, like a quick like interview footage from like MTV News or something yeah. with like Buzz Aldrin on a red carpet like really quick cameo and, and, but Buzz like gets to hang out with Optimus there's like a scene where like you know Buzz is looking at obviously nothing but he's supposed to be impressed by Optimus and he has lines he, he yeah. has to say like he's like the Decepticons are coming <laughs> yeah he's like and he's so old and he sells out the moon mission too he's like when we landed on the moon that was a front we were covering yeah. to explore a giant Decepticon head yeah like <laughs> and then Optimus, who is so furious at NASA in the movie, and Optimus is like, you lied to us, NASA. We can't trust humanity anymore. And then he meets Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin's like, it's great to meet you, Optimus. And Optimus is like, the honor is mine, <laughs> sir. You were the real Transformer, Buzz. <laughs> exactly. Got to pay tribute to him. I thought the worst part of that movie was the ending. God, this is like the lightest spoiler alert I could possibly enforce on a movie. Like, there's not a single plot point yeah, I could possibly I don't even, tell you. I'm like wondering what you're going to say. But it, at the end, there's like uh, this part where uh, Megatron like finally attacks Optimus. And Megatron's not the primary antagonist in this. I think that... He sort of gets wrapped up in the ending, I think, because I, I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, but what, Whatever. The movie's so... Like, Shia LaBeouf... You can't even say who the main character in that movie is, because it's not Shia LaBeouf. He's, in the first half of the movie, he's, like, looking for a job, literally. Yeah. And then, so then... Uh, but at the end of the movie, for some reason, Megatron attacks Optimus, and Optimus, who's already dealt with the primary bad guy in the movie... Just without, with, it's not even a big fight scene. Just rips Megatron's head <laughs> yeah, out, yeah. spine still attached, <laughs> like Sub Zero style. And it's like, why? Why did you do that? Like before, like they've had these four, these two other movies of epic battles, and in this one, he's just like, nah, I got this. He just turns around and just rips his head right out of this. And then the movie ends. That's like the last thing. That, <laughs> it's, the ending is really anticlimactic. I didn't hate it as much as Transformers Two, and I don't know why. It made a little more sense in that there was like. At least it was like an A to B plot. Like at any point, even though the movie didn't make sense, I could say like what someone was doing. Whereas Transformers 2 is just such a hot mess that you can't even yeah. like describe what a character wants to do. There's one or two sequences of like that are pretty imaginative. There's a scene where this there's a snake-like yeah. thing. Which Who is very I, unclear. I thought it was a tale of another thing, but I think maybe it was his own guy, and I'm still not sure. But they're running up and down a skyscraper, and it's totally ridiculous. But um, it it was it was one of the I think it was cool because it was like different, and you know they were thinking about what some cool things they could do. But generally, you know, it was very um, hard to to really get into. Should we talk about Green Lantern again? Or uh, let's get we... into Green Lantern. I think Green Lantern was the worst movie I saw this summer. For Definitely, sure. I agree. Uh, really hated Green Lantern. I'm currently as we're recording, and I think this came up uh, when we talked about Green Lantern last time. I'm drinking, I, I am a classic Green Lantern fan. I loved Green Lantern growing up. Uh, and I'm drinking out of a Hal Jordan pint glass. We got these at Comic-Con. There's this dude that sells like awesome 80s style comic pint glasses. And I saw him like two years ago and I was like, those are sweet. And I, then I saw him again the next year and I was like, this year I'm getting them. Were they, has, how much were they? How much was that? It was like seven or eight bucks. It was like, <laughs> it wasn't cheap, but like, I liked it a lot. And I have... I, it never occurs to me to buy a themed pint glass of anything. Uh, well, I also have the... I, you know, I also bought uh, 
those Bluth company yeah, it's like, right there yeah it's also laying out no one's drinking out of this this has just been on the table for a day <laughs> or two it's filled with whiskey but it's a uh, this one came I'm maybe more proud of this than anything in my life I watched Arrested Development when it was on the air and uh, they, I, uh, that would have been very expensive because you, you buy like from the Fox yeah, store and yeah. I spent like Phil. 30 bucks or like, <laughs> yeah. like 10 on shipping just get two of these because the show was going off the air and I was just like if I don't get this I'll always regret it uh, so it's a Bluth company pint glass and it wasn't clear at that point that everyone in the world was eventually going to come around and loving us to de- Arrested Development. So I was like, I just got to buy this now. So anyway, this guy's got tons of comic book characters at his, com- at his Comic-Con pint glass shop. And I'm looking through all of them. This is like a big decision for me. And I got two. I got Aquaman because I thought it'd be cool when there was beer behind him. It looked like Aquaman was swimming in beer. Sure. And also it's like 80, uh, 80s Aquaman, you know, with like that orange, like, yeah. leaf. Or that orange kind of sweater and like I he's don't a, he's, uh, he's he's definitely like the more vi- one of the more vivid of the superheroes. And then I got this Green Lantern one, and the, I believe there were both there was Alan Scott and Hal Jordan. I was like, no, Hal Jordan's my dude. I got to get Hal Jordan. This pint glass is has is even less cool now than when I bought <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, and it was never cool. But now I'm like embarrassed to own a Hal Jordan. Dr- you have to explain anything. to people that yeah, you bought I, that. I bought it before this movie <laughs> came out. And when we saw it, we were like, there's no way they're going to make another one of these. Like, clearly, lesson learned. All right. This is... That's, that, and that, that still is true, right? No, they're talking about... They're like, no, the, the next one's going to be darker. We were just starting to set up the story. There was it was... A, yeah. It I was... Mean, oh, God. I feel like we're we both, got, like, speechless. Yeah, we got a lot of it out before. And there was this... Uh, this element, uh, we talked about this in the other one. I feel like uh, you just go there and like yeah, watch how much go, we hated Green Go Land. watch was it's the Nerd, Nerd Alert episode. What do we call? Oh, worst superhero movie ever, which may be true. <laughs> I think Jeff and I are looking at each other. I think we just mutually agreed like we don't want to talk yeah, about this movie yeah, anymore. Like, like it was yeah, so exhausting. It. But here's what I think is interesting about the DC Comics approach to movies versus the Marvel approach to movies. I think maybe you came up with this theory. The DC movies are swinging harder. Mm-hmm. You know, the Marvel movies are all made in this very cookie-cutter factory way where, like, you pretty much can't go wrong. Like, Thor, Captain America, uh, they're, they're, all, yeah. they're all good, but not too good. Like, they're very, they're very safe. Like, they get all the pieces you want, and they're good. They're good movies. But the DC way of making it is like, yeah. no, we're gonna, we're gonna get a little crazy on this one. And sometimes that pans out, and you get a Dark Knight, and then sometimes you get a Green Lantern. It's crazy to imagine, like... When you're talking about the DC pantheon of movies, and it's like, yes, all the, like, you can't even, just to utter the Dark Knight and Green Lantern yeah. movies in the same sentence sounds absurd, you know? like. But I think Green Lantern was trying to do something different, and mm-hmm. I think it failed really, really badly. I really can't say how little I enjoyed it. Uh, don't even watch it on an airplane. Just, like, do a Sudoku or something. Yeah. Before we saw Planet of the Apes... I thought my main thing, uh, I was going to say my, my award, my summer, Jeff Rubin's summer movie award was going to go to the to Marvel, who, I think this is crazy that they did this and got away with it. They made three movies this summer. That's pretty, X, It was X-Men. X-Men, Thor, and yeah. Captain America. That's pretty crazy. Three movies in one summer. And yeah, I think generally, I think they all received... Either well, positive or like mixed reviews. I, yeah, I, I liked Thor, yeah. and Thor did pretty well, and I liked X-Men even more, and I thought X-Men was... Oh, it had a, a little bit of a, something different in it, even though it was X-Men, which mm-hmm. had, you know been done a hundred times already. Still took a little bit of a different approach. Captain America, I was a little lukewarm on. And you saw them all, but Captain America, right? Yeah, Captain America is the one I think I haven't... I think the only two we had, I don't know if you want to call it those, we haven't seen, but are uh, Captain... I haven't seen Captain America, yeah. and we neither of us have seen Pirates of Caribbean Yeah, neither of us saw... And I wanted to see Pirates of the Caribbean 4 because I love uh, Ian McShane. Like, 
I will obviously I, I like Pirates of the Caribbean one a, a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I I like it enough that I even sat through two and three, and even two and three, which I don't like. There are parts of it I like. Like I like Octopus Dude, and I, there's like there's just some cool yeah. elements of it. And then so I was like, and then they were like yeah. Ian McShane is Blackbeard, Ian McShane who's uh, swearing to it on Deadwood, and I was like, all right, that's what I needed. I'm, I'm in. They're like the rare movies where like the budget, the the the, the excess of budget is like a is a good thing because they re- they use it well. Like they you know they're they it, they're very visual movies. Yeah, and, but like the, the Octopus Man is aw- Davy Jones, I guess, is awesome. But and- somehow I just couldn't get my shit together to go see Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. four. And honestly, I don't think anyone I know, like, I didn't hear a single thing about it. I, it made money. Someone went and saw it, and I don't know, maybe they'll make a fifth one. Well, it's, a, it's the fourth in a franchise, and that's always like... That's an odd number. That's interesting, because at that point, you're committing... Because three, tri- three is a nice, solid trilogy. You could stop there. Yeah, Most especially in Pirates of the Caribbean, where they made two and three at once. Yeah. At four, you're just saying, like, okay, we're going to, like... When you, when, you're, when you make a four, you're also, like, kind of unofficially committing to making an indefinite number of yeah. them, you know? So you're just kind of like, all right, we're going to make this leap. But the, I want to get so we didn't see that one. But to get back to the Marvel movies, yeah. I I didn't like Captain America, but I didn't hate it. Like Captain America at least had a this basic competency <laughs> that Green Lantern lacked. Yeah, like it was it was a movie that and it, it was not my favorite. It was a lot of things you'd seen done before, but uh, there were some interesting moments. Like Red In- Skull has a cool. Oh yeah, sci-fi yeah. airplane. Like, there's some cool like '40s spaceships type stuff that I like. Well, yeah, a lot of that, that and X-Men. You got a couple of like those are yeah, of the retro th- conning history for superhero stuff. And Watchmen did that as well. Yeah, but Marvel. Well, Watchmen doesn't like almost like an alternate universe. Like it's like yeah. more. It, Watchmen's almost like here's how we're different than the rest of the world. But uh, Marvel made three movies this summer, and two of them were period pieces. One in the X-Men. I liked X-Men a lot. I'd never seen, and I guess they've done it in comics recently. I was not familiar with like. I know Magneto and Professor X had a uh, history, but I had never seen it really depicted uh, in the era when I was actively reading X-Men comics or in the X-Men animated series yeah. or, uh, you know, in any other movies. And I thought that was a cool take for it. Yeah. I like the part of that movie where they were like, uh, uh, we, let's just, we're, we're going to stop the movie for a second and explain what the Cuban Missile Crisis is. Just yeah, ready, yeah, yeah. Catch everyone up to speed. <laughs> That's funny. Also, uh, I loved uh, and Transformers also kind of retcons history too. There's like the beginning of Transformers shows like oh, I like the Apollo first ten footage. minutes of uh, Transformers when it was, it was the first ten minutes is like yeah they like it, they it like Robert Zemeckis JFK yeah. to like actually have him there and some guy dubbing his voice being like oh we need to uh, get these Decepticons yeah. off the moon. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> That's probably worth seeing the movie for. I don't like the first ten minutes of that. A lot of a lot of famous histo- American historical figures talking about robots. Here's something. Uh, uh, fun little pattern in the movies this summer uh, and something else I love to bring up on the show Friday Night Lights Landry's dad from Friday Night Lights who's like the cop on Friday he's a cop on Friday Night Lights he's mostly Landry's dad now, yeah is in both Transformers and X-Men and in both movies he plays like the general that is in the war room right he has that look yeah he has that just very official look yeah, Jeff yelled that out in the theater to everyone I was so excited <laughs> yeah especially during Transformers he played the general in Transformers. Yeah, he's just like in the war room. I don't even remember why they're those in the movies. War. I mean, uh, Transformers is just such a uh, like an orgy of random actors and stuff because they can afford and they can get anyone they want for any role. There's so yeah. much money involved. People who would star in other movies like John Malkovich or Ken Jeong are like yeah, John to- Malkovich totally taking these like tertiary roles in the movie. And it wasn't even like a John Malkovich role. <laughs> I think about John Malkovich's role. It was 
It's more it, than cameo. It's more than a cameo, but it's less than anything else. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like it's such a it's a weird quasi. He's like invented a new level of character <laughs> yeah. somewhere between cameo and like supporting actor. And I love when you get it's those, like, that it's like of, seventeen minutes of screen time. I love when the, a movie has that much money, and you oh you kind of see that in Cowboys and Aliens too, where they like have so much money they're like over hiring for roles. Sam Rockwell, mm-hmm. who has nothing to do, Sam Rockwell is such a fantastic actor and has just nothing to do. He's like this role that yeah. does, really doesn't ask a lot of him, and like for, it's, it seems so easy for him. And you see that with Malkovich in Transformers, and a little bit, even though I like the movie, with Brian Cox. Who just has to be like he doesn't have much of a character, he's just like the shithead zookeeper kind of. Oh yeah. Oh, we should up. also mention who um uh kind of interesting in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the sort of evil uh like monkey zookeeper guy that's Brian oh, yeah, Brian yeah. Cut, the guy who like actually takes care of the monkeys but doesn't he like he's cruel to them is Tom Felton, Felton. who's Draco in Harry Potter. Yeah, fully embracing that he's going to be typecast as like. He's got, like, the bully and karate kid role where he's, like, 10% meaner than an actual human being would be. Like, he just, like, hits the mug and he's like, hey, stupid mug. <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize him until, like... I think we both kind of recognize him at the same time. Like, he has, like, a... He, he gives, like, a, a a mean, smiling snarl to the monkey. And, like, I was like... We're like, I, I know that snarl! That's Draco! <laughs> it's a cool movie. Like, this is, like, the science... Not all good movies have to do this, but like, there's no real good guys or bad guys. You know, it's, there's a lot of complicated yeah. gray area. Like, Caesar's not really a bad guy, even though he leads a rebellion against humans, and James Franco is not really a bad guy, even though he causes this virus that manned humanity. So that's like very gray and interesting. Draco, though, he's a shithead. And I think that the cool thing about his presence in the movie, or the interesting thing, and this kind of ties to Harry Potter, the last Harry Potter, all, another summer movie, which we already talked about is I'm really interested in seeing what the cast of Harry Potter, what are their next movies going to be? Like, this is a very important... That was his first little chess move in his, yeah. like, in the <laughs> complex world of his post-Harry Potter career. What did you think of Cowboys and Aliens, by the way? I was... Oh, I didn't think it was very good. I didn't um, either. It was not as bad as Transformers or Green Lantern. I thought. I thought it was... Not terrible, but just didn't like. It never really became more. It wasn't weird enough for a movie that was supposed to be about cowboys and aliens. It didn't. It wasn't a great western or a great sci-fi movie, you know. No, it, it lacked both paths of it. I thought Harrison Ford. You can't be a nerd and knock Harrison Ford too hard, you know. He's like, no, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the pantheon. But I a little bit was like, if Harrison Ford's not interested in being in movies, I don't know if I need to see it. <laughs> yeah, movies. yeah, maybe halfway at least. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, I, I I've, at first I didn't like it. I've, I've kind of cooled. I've kind of warmed up to it a little bit more. Um, it was definitely like it was watchable. That, but that's my thing about movies, and that's how I'd condemn all of the summer movies this year, I, with maybe the exception of Planet of the Apes. Is like. It's not enough to not be bad. Like, I'm spending time watching the movie. I want it to be good. And by not being... Being not very good is just as bad as bad. It's, like, still bad. You know, it's, like, not... Cowboys and Aliens isn't terrible like Green Lantern. Yeah. I guess I'd, I told you not to watch Green Lantern on a plane. If you're on a plane and you have nothing to do but Cowboys and Aliens, like, you could do worse. You could see Green Lantern, for instance. Yeah. But, like, it's that's still, like, a failure, in my opinion. Like, they shouldn't be... I feel, And I feel like they all aim that low to be, like, mm-hmm. just... They all aim to be just not the worst movie of the summer, and they all succeeded in that except Green Lantern, but yeah. it's still not very exciting. There was nothing nothing that great. And, you know, uh, Cowboys and Islands came out the same weekend as Attack the Block, at least, in, at least in the theater I saw it in, Attack the Block. And they're kind of similar. Like, it, it's an interesting thing, because they, they kind of start from similar places of, like, Let's mix. Let's mix the, these two 
disparate it's aliens in a very disparate environment you don't normally associate with aliens like East London or the Wild West and it just it's a cool example of like how one just kind of doesn't do too much with it, and this other one just makes this totally awesome movie out of it and the one that may end up more well remembered is the one that cost probably 10% as much yeah or less you, you I think you're right you're definitely right though like you mentioned no inception this summer and like yeah. it does seem like even I had I love Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I thought and it was then, great. D- and Dark Knight was the summer before that, or was it? Yeah, Dark Knight was the summer yeah, before that. Yeah, there wasn't was one that was just like, a Chris, all Christopher Nolan. Yeah. <laughs> Origi- oh, Super 8. Super 8 was a movie oh, I liked. Oh, I didn't love Super 8. Yeah, we, we should we talk about this. on that one, yeah. Because we've, we, we right. we've agreed most of the summer. I think that's the yeah. one, one we disagree on. All right, so Super 8 is a movie that at least warrants me saying I'm about to talk about the ending. So, I guess... Oh, for sure, Okay. This is Future Jeff going back to drop a quick warning in because Pat and I are about to discuss the ending of Super 8. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you're just waiting till TBS inevitably reruns it 10 times a day for all of eternity, you should skip ahead about two minutes. And I'm just going to wait a second while everyone figures out how the fast forward part of their iPod works. You know, you got to get it out, you got to fast forward. All right, well, if they haven't gotten it by now, they deserve to have the ending of Super 8 spoiled. Back to the show. A reason Inception is 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 great, one of the reasons, even before you even see the movie, is like, or Avatar, it's like, it's an original script, writer, yeah. the same writer-director, and those yeah. are so, and with that much money behind it, that's so rare. So whatever that's that happens, true. it's like, I'm so into it. Like, at the end, the alien picks up uh, the main character, Sam, I think, mm-hmm. and he, because the alien... As we learn from Mayor Royce from The Wire, uh, yeah. can touch touch people and sense their where they've been in their history, and he touches the kid and he's like, oh, he's like, not all, I see, not all humans are bad, but like, is the sheriff he just ate a minute ago a total piece of shit and like deserved to get eaten? He, he was like, he was eating yeah. tons of other people, and this felt like, like it, it was very like contrived. I thought how in the end, like. Hit like Sam's beauty stopped the aliens' rampage. But the alien had already eaten all these other people who seemed perfectly nice to me. I guess see that didn't. Buy, I'm like that. To me, that's just like that. That that's. It's unfortunate that that alien ate them. But like they tortured the alien was tortured when he was in Area 51. Yeah, which I believe is the re, one of the reasons he was so mean. Um, and I I don't mind that sometimes in movies are kind of like a little edgy. You know, and one of the reasons I like Attack the Block is that like kids are in like and, and I like Super Eight, but Attack the Block goes even farther. Um, is that like they put kids in danger and people get eaten? And one of my complaints about Rise of the Planet of the Apes is it was very bloodless. There was nothing. Yeah, it, it was very PG, It was very light PG thirteen. Yeah, Caesar's agenda is to one take over the world and two keep the film under an R rating. It kind of <laughs> it makes Rise of the Planet of the Apes great, but it also shows why so many other movies are so action movies are so simple because there, a lot of the movies told in like ape grunts. But they can convey the same plot points yeah. as a dialogue action movie. Like, like, there's a gorilla about to kill one of the humans, and then Caesar just like turns to him and he's like, Ugh. "And you, I've seen so many blockbuster action movies. I know exactly. Like, th- th- this is the part where he tells him we're not killing any innocent people." Another movie that stood out to me as bloodless, which I think is two summers ago now, was Wolverine. Because I mm-hmm. played the Wolverine Origins video game, the game based on the movie, mm-hmm. which is actually a pretty solid game. Movie games are very dicey to get into, but the yeah. Wolverine one's actually pretty solid, and it's very violent. There's, like, a lot of Wolverine stabbing people, and when Wolverine gets, like, destroyed, you can, like, see through his body while he's oh, healing. Cool. And uh, there's some really cool, like, uh, you know, 
cutscenes in that game, which is something rare you'd say about games. But a lot of cool cutscenes of just Wolverine like stabbing people in the face, and you're like, uh, but the movie, it's always like you go down his arm, and then it like sing, and you just hear it, and it stops right before you actually oh, see. Oh yeah, and uh, it made you realize like, yeah, I guess a movie about a guy with knives for hands should be pretty violent. This like Planet of the Apes, like. A movie about a gorilla on the loose in San Francisco should have some people being pounded into pulp. Totally. Because like every six months, and these are terrible stories, not to make light of it, but you know, you, you hear a story about a chimpanzee like just mauling someone horrifically. And, you know, chimpanzees are deadly people. I pulled up a list of the movies from last summer, and I, I am seeing this trend of this summer more, maybe the average was better, but no one really excelled. Because uh-huh. listen to what came out last summer. Iron Man 2. That, that I thought, I did not like Iron Man. Like, uh-huh. I remember a few weeks after Iron Man 2 being like, I can't remember what happens in that movie. Yeah, like, yeah. And a year later, I challenge you to describe the plot of Iron Man 2. Like, try to remember anything that happened in that film. The, the net, I saw it, it's on Netflix Instant Watch now, and I haven't, like, rewatched it. And that's, that is kind of, like, a barometer of, like, how, how much a movie sticks. Because, like... You'll never be in a position where it's easier to watch Iron Man 2 than, like, it's right there, and just <laughs> click the blue button, and you're watching it. And I was like, eh. It's, but listen to what else came out this summer. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, last last summer. summer. Some really bad movies, but at least maybe interestingly bad. Like, at least uh, Jonah Hex, terrible. Oh, yeah. That was, did you see Jonah Hex? Yeah, I saw, I saw it against your warnings, because I love, I mean, the Neville Dean Taylor team. Yeah, the, yeah. The crank movie fame. They're awesome. Yeah, pretty. Jonah Hex, maybe even worse than Green Lantern, I'd say. Um. Oh, uh, another God. another DC Comics, by the way. Really? Yeah. Well, Jonah Hex is maybe a Vertigo thing. Worse I forgot exactly how to classify it. I don't know. Uh, anyway, there's also Prince of Persia. Probably, Pat and I have a lot of experience with video game movies. One of the worst video game movies. <laughs> one of the worst. Oh, this is great. I actually want to talk about this. I never. I've always had this. There's this funny thing I want to tell people that have never seen Prince of Persia, and this is a little off topic because when I was last summer. The funniest part of Prince of Persia is there's this really, really overt, heavy-handed, anti-George Bush message in the movie because uh, the prince has an an advisor played by Ben Kingsley who I would say is slumming it if he wasn't also in Blood Rain. Like, what is... <laughs> Jeff's, got, Jeff's gone... Jeff's read so much into this movie. What is... And you can't see... There's, there's, there's scribblings all over his wall about George Bush <laughs> well, in the movie. Listen to what happens. It's not... It's definitely, like, very overt. The, uh, so Ben Kingsley's the advisor, and he's like, we have to go raid this magical city. Because uh, he, he, un- he, like, unloads. He's like, we, we uncovered their... Our spies uncovered. They have all these iron-tipped arrows. It means they're ready to attack. So yeah. and they like they like go out. So they raid the magical city, and then like they get there, and it turns out it was like actually they didn't want to invade anyone. They were peaceful, and then through the course of the film, Jake Gyllenhaal, the prince, learns that uh, the vizier is evil, and he falsified that they had the iron-tipped arrows, and he he like made up uh. that they were going to attack as a pretense to uh, invade the city and get all of their magic sand oil. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that's that's what the movie's about. It's it's very like uh, I don't know like and by design. You think it was by design? Yes, I think so. Is, is that? Yeah. Am I reading too much into that? That seems pretty intentional. No, I guess dudes that write the guys that wrote that movie like they probably have opinions about. I mean, uh, three hundred. I had a pro Bush agenda, which is three hundred before. What, was that before the invasion? I think it was around the yeah, invasion of Iraq. It was yeah, like oh, yeah. three or whatever. There's a whole invasion of Iraq thing going on in that movie because like he's. The Senate, they, the, the, the Spartans, the brave heroes, need to go fight, like, the Easterners. They need to defend them, defend their homeland. But the Senate, 
Oh, they won't let let them do it. it. So they have to like go around. They have to like do it covertly. They have to find a way around it. The Senate's very evil. But the other movies last summer, just the worst. The A Team, terrible, terrible movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clash of the Titans was bad. I guess maybe why do we go see so many summer movies? There's so many bad ones. A lot of like, so many, like Jonah Hex, Clash of the Titans. Uh, Cowboys and Aliens, all these weird, like, steampunky, awkward movies. Ah, just weirdness. A lot of weirdness. Uh, what mistakes do you think we're going to be making in the future, looking ahead? Like, what what are the movies we're going to be trying to stay positive about next summer? I I mean, I've only seen trailers and stuff for movies. I I don't even know how many of them are coming out in the summer versus the, but you know, like... Well, there's Spider-Man is next summer. That looks really bad. Yeah, I mean, super comic book movies in general, um... I'm not. I don't get as excited about them as other people. You know, like I tend to like them when they do, when they do something different. Like, I mean, The Dark Knight's just like awesome because it's it's so much deeper and like different than other ones. And then the X Men I was movie I was kind of into because they tried making it in the '60s and there was all this like Nazi hunting backstory, which was something you don't normally see in a movie. But um, like even the Avengers, I'm you know, I mean, I like Joss Whedon, but. Yeah, Joss Whedon's buying me a lot in the Avengers you, movie. You, you, you had seen the trailer, and you were pretty excited about it, Because right? there's a trailer at the end, like the post credit scene for Captain America, because it's a post... Well, first of all, by the way, so the Marvel has trained you when you go see a Marvel movie that there should be a post credit yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there wasn't one at the end of X-Men. And were you there when I saw that? No. So I insisted we sit around at the end of X-Men, and my friends were like, is there something after the credits? I was like, oh, trust me, there's going to be something after yeah, the yeah. And like, we were not the only people in the movie, because Marvel... They put some good stuff after the credits, you know? They, there's been, like... Like, important, like, plot points. It, at the end of X-Men, there was nothing. There was, like, an audible, like, really drop in the ball there, I felt like. But at the end of Captain America, which was the last of the three Marvel movies that came out this summer, they had an Avengers trailer. And, like, I, I said to the person I saw, it was Gabrus, actually. I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I, was, I just want to see, like, Robert Downey Jr. high-five Thor. And, like, yeah. I'm going to be set. And that was in there. He, like, slaps him on the back, and he's like, I don't know about this guy. And I was like, in. I'm seeing this movie. Uh, and I probably would be less excited about it if it wasn't Joss Whedon. But Joss Whedon, uh, in my book, and I'm not saying this to pander to a nerd audience, Joss Whedon can, has not is a perfect track record. Even uh-huh. Dollhouse, which was completely atrocious in the first season and really, really bad. Uh-huh. Uh, the second season, after it got canceled, something interesting happened there where, like, yeah. He had, like, this five- or six-year plan, and then it got canceled. And he put, like, five years' worth of ideas into, like, eight episodes. And the ending of the show is incredible. It's really cool. cool. So I've never seen anything from Joss Whedon that doesn't have some redeeming quality to it, if not being outright fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that movie. Uh, There's also the two two movies, just rant, just two movies I know that are coming out in terms of big-budget movies are... John Carter of Mars, which mm-hmm. we just saw the trailer for, in along with this movie, and Mission Impossible Four, both directed by people who directed movies right. at Pixar. Brad, Brad Bird. Bird, who made um, The Incredibles mm-hmm. and Ratatouille, and before that, The Iron Giant, and before that, uh, worked on The Simpsons. Yeah, this is his first live action movie, mm-hmm. and I think it looks pretty cool. I love Mission Impossible Three, the J.J. Abrams one. I thought it was great. Yeah, I'm actually into even two. Is you know two is memorable. Everyone remembers two. You know, they've all got something. They're, yeah. all, they're showcases for directors. It's, I mean, we, it's an interesting it's series Brian, like that. Brian De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. and now Brad, Brad, Brad Bird. Bird. Yeah. So I'm interested to see if it is a showcase for directors and if that pattern holds. I'm interested to see what what is Brad Bird doing live action like. I mean, Brad Bird movies, The Incredibles is a, one of my favorite movies. So yeah, I, yeah. Excuse me if I gush, but it's a great action movie. 
But it's also, I mean, all of his movies have a great story, too. And I, I, I'm very, very optimistic about it. Same with Andrew Stanton, who's directing John Carter of Mars mm-hmm. with Friday Night Lights, Taylor Kitsch uh, playing the lead. And uh, that, one's, that one's a bigger leap because, like you said, like Brad Bird, I think there's such a technical proficiency and mm-hmm. he's so good at making action movies, for lack of a bet, animated or otherwise. So it, it, it's a bigger leap, uh, this one, this Stan, because Stan, he, he did the Toy Story movies, is it? Uh, he did Finding, Finding Nemo, Nemo right? and I believe he did Wally. But like, so, it's weird because well, they, all, they yeah. all work. There's like a council of Pixar people. That like, John Lasseter worked on Wally to some extent, too. Mm-hmm. So I always mix up who directed which ones, but I believe Andrew Stan is Finding Nemo and Wally. Another reason I'm excited about Mission Impossible 4, and it's something I noticed about movies this summer, and you know, I liked a lot of movies this summer, but. Almost all of them were science fiction or fantasy, and I love science fiction fantasy, but I also like, you know, a good, like, diehard, like, just straight-up action movie. A good old night and day, if you will. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> did you see night and day? I think, I ne- oh, I did, I did. It. Actually, I thought... It- That's funny, you were like, I did. Wait, I did! <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that sounds to be all I need to know already. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, so... Yeah, I guess there's nothing... Well, there's no... Because there's no, like, dragons in it, so I have to, like... I, you have to, <laughs> I have to sift through so much, so much old wardrobe to remember it. That's what I, I liked. I think that's one thing I really liked about Planet of the Apes, and I think we said it already, is that, like, you know, it was just seeing, like, something more realistic, like monkeys. Yeah. Even monkeys taking over the bridge or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, was, like, what, that tells you about the summer, when the most realistic movie of the summer was a Planet of the, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It's just, like, getting back to the basics of, like, actual animals was excited you know it was like that getting back to basics and not inventing a whole race of dragon monsters who have a backstory and an rpg you can play for mm-hmm. them like just not doing that made it different yeah and so mission impossible 4 i think it will be cool to see just a normal buildings blowing up I'm, I'm nostalgic for the days of just buildings blowing up and regular action so maybe not the best summer for movies is maybe our final verdict but there was uh, a. I'm gonna pull it out of movies now. You ready? Yeah. But there was a cinematic experience this summer that I did think take, took a lot of chances that you just started mm-hmm. called L.A. Noir. Ah, yes. With the video game, which is obviously not a movie, it's a video game. But Rockstar making that line a little fuzzier every time out. Yeah. Uh, L- L.A. Noir. Uh, I saw I, as many ads for that uh, as, as I did for any any movie. It's extremely cinematic, almost to a fault, and I liked L.A. Noir a lot. I didn't love L.A. Noir. I think it's got a lot of problems, but I think it is unquestionably a milestone game that people will look back on as, you know, breaking a lot of new ground. Yeah. And it's, I think it's really interesting to talk about. I thought, as much as we talked about these movies not taking chances, I thought L.A. Noir took a lot of chances. It's, it's an extremely big-budget game, and a big-budget game like L.A. Noir costs as much to make as a movie like Thor. And if anything is less risk-averse, than summer movies, it's video games. Like, the big-budget video games, the ones that cost us much money, are yeah. all, like, Gears of War and Halo. They're all of a certain type, or God of War. God of, They're like, Gears of War, God, God of, of War. War. <laughs> you see a theme. But this is a game, the crux of the game, the main point of the game, is watching performances and yeah. guessing if someone is telling the truth or not, which is completely untested as a gameplay concept. And they bet the whole farm on it. That's the game. I enjoy it. I'm, I'm like you said. I'm in the middle of it now, and I like it a lot. And you're right that like I think it's totally justified bringing it up in this podcast because it really is like in terms of the performances. The the thing is, I the, the cast of, for the facial animation. Obviously, I'm every as if you read anything mm-hmm. of the game, it's like the main thing about it, and um and it's it's good and it's really even the best of it. It's almost not totally, but it's it's as far out of it's. 
it's as close to pulling out of the uncanny valley that I've ever seen. Yeah, in a few years, it's gonna look. It looks great. It's and, not. And it, it, you, it can't be creepy to watch, you know. Yeah, it, it's not creepy to watch. One of the reasons Green Lantern. One of the another reason. God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, Ryan Reynolds. You know, we keep going back to this, but like you mentioned that, like they digitally added his mask, and it looks bad. Yeah, it looks terrible in every scene. But yeah, sorry. So and yeah, there's a little bit of that, like. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about how the faces are really good, but the bodies are really bad because they they worked on the bot all the fancy technologies in the faces. They didn't do it so much for the bodies. But uh, when you're playing the game, I don't think it draws attention to itself. It certainly serves the purpose. And what's cool about it is that it's not just a gimmick. Like if you made Marcus Phoenix in Gears of War, if you made his face ten times better, if you made uh, the uh, in Uncharted, if you made their face ten times, the game's really going to be the same. But in this game, the technology informs the gameplay. Like, that facial capture technology enables you to watch the performances and, you know, play along with the detective in a way that was previously not possible. Yeah, that was, I think that's what, that was a very smart decision on their part. I don't like what, whether they, it was out of necessity they did that or they they were like, we have this new technology, let's find an awesome story to wrap it around. But either way, the cool thing, and it's so good, and the cast of the game is like, they got a lot of like actual actor, I mean, it's, mo- it's all actual actors, but a lot of like random that guys in the movie. Yeah, a lot people's, of character actors. A lot of character actors whose face you know, and but you don't know their name, which is you know that's a the tradition of being like, hey, it's that guy in movies is like, as oh, you know, it's, it's a it's a classic you know movie thing to experience, and I've never experienced it in a game before until now. Like I was, there's one scene where I'm you know I'm Phelps is sitting in his in the department police department, and like the this sort of dispatch officer comes in and it was like, it's just, I can't, I don't know the guy's name, but like I've seen him in like a couple of like Jerry Bruckheimer movies and I'm like, oh my God, it's that guy. And it's never happened in a game before. This is the first game where I've seen a performance. I've seen, I've heard vocal performances in games that I've enjoyed. Um, I think like Team Fortress 2, for instance, has really like fun, or Portal, all the Valve games, I guess, have fun vocals that add to it. But this is the first time where I've appreciated a physical performance in a game and that physical performance is adding something to the game and that is brand new that so that's that's i'm not saying that all games are gonna be like that like i don't think mario needs to get more realistic but that that is a new frontier for video games and i find that very exciting even if i have some there i think there's some real problem spots in la noir but that's just brand new ground yeah and and also the main activity of the game like you said is like telling whether people are lying and that's you know there's some chase scenes and stuff and violence but you're mostly playing it's basically like it's a game where the X button is the X button is doubt. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, saw, and, it's, and it's still fun. And I've seen that. Like I remember uh, you and I talk about this a lot. We in the Lost video game, which we briefly dabbled with. Yeah, there was a button that was notice. I think it was remember. Like, remember, there was like press A to remember. What? And you're like, what? But in L.A. Noir, it works. And I've never totally seen it work before. There is a thing. I we've I've mentioned this to other people, but like how you. They do, the uh, you'll have you can doubt someone, yeah. but <laughs> they're not good at like knowing the level. You have no idea the level to which Phelps will go with his doubts. Yeah, so you'll be like Phelps is the character you're playing, and it's yeah, like, yeah. And you so for every, and every interview you have to choose whether you think the other person's telling the truth, mm-hmm. whether you should doubt them, or whether you should accuse them of telling a lie. And if you press doubt, you know I think what I think what I usually mean is like, oh come on, are you telling? Mm-hmm. But you'll press doubt, and Phelps will just flip the table like you're a fucking liar, you bitch, <laughs> and she runs away crying. One other funny thing, I, 
that I the game is so cinematic and so serious. Like the cutscenes are beautiful, like these beautiful panning shots down to the location. And I'm like a terrible driver in, in video games, so you have to drive between crime scenes. So I'll get in the car and I'll just like demolish it. But you know the game the game doesn't stop you if you yeah. mess your car up. And so like I'll knock my hood off, and my tires will be popped, and the windows will be broken, and they'll be all dented, and smoke's coming out of it. And then I pull into, but then I'll always just make it to the crime scene in time. So it's always very funny because it'll cut to this. <laughs> it'll do the cutscene like everyone the cop just walks up to our like rumbling ramshackle jalopy and being and, like no one notices it I just think it's pretty funny yeah the more realistic a game the more fun it is to like screw around within the game world like yeah. because the graphics are so good I think it's so funny to make Phelps like skip over the course like, <laughs> yeah. because everyone like, looks really real and they look really serious when they're taking notes we get like sometimes you get like a real close up of his hand and it's so you see his hands a lot because he's operating the notebook He's operating the notebook. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's a great like tactile sensation that they replicate. Yeah, or he um he you have to, you see like a list. He pulls up like a uh, some sort of itinerary or like a list of names, and you have to like point at the name on the list that's interesting to you to get the information. The game's not gonna like spoon feed it to you sometimes. Yeah, you have to like put it together yourself. And it's so realistic. Like you can see like his cuticles and like this texture on his finger. And you press a button to point, and you have to point at the right thing. But sometimes I don't know. So Phelps just looked like absolutely <laughs> insane, just like pointing at everything, waiting for someone to say something to him, <laughs> I waiting for someone to just push him <laughs> along and be like, "That's uh, right. That's where we're going." There's a. I love that sound when you're looking when you when his fingers over like a register or a piece of paper, and you when you know you have to tap it. And there's like mm. such a satisfying soft like do 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 do. Oh, that as well. But I meant like the the finger tapping a book sound. It's like a boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's yeah. very hard to describe. It's just oddly it's oddly satisfying. So the thing about LA Noir I think is really interesting is I've been playing it with my girlfriend mm-hmm. who doesn't really play video games. I'm pressing the buttons. I'm I'm operating Phelps, but we're solving the cases together because we watched the person like give the interview and they were like, I don't know what do you think? Is he telling the truth? Is it? Yeah. And I've heard of other people. Uh, you guys didn't see Jeff raise his eyebrows suggestively when he said girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I've heard of other people, uh, like, uh, even couples, like, playing the game this way. I think there's, like, this cool, like, unintended single-player co-op mode where you can yeah. kind of solve the crimes with friends. Well, yeah, because the, 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 the crime-solving parts, anyway, are not anyone. Yeah, it's all, it's just, it just doesn't matter who's pressing the button. Yeah. It's very decision-solving. And it's hard. Like, it's it's... It does help to have other people there because I'm just operating. I never get all the questions. You know, you ask a series of questions and you can get two out of three. If you if you accuse them of lying when they're telling the truth, you only get two out of three or one out of three. But what makes the game, I think what really raises the stakes. Oh, let me ask the though. Have you guys, so you playing with your girlfriend, have you guys ever like strongly disagree on whether someone's lying or not? That's the problem because I'm I'm holding the controller. (laughs) So like sometimes I have to break away. And it's real, it's, like, I've definitely been, like... What was the worst one? I, there's been, I mean, it's gone, I'm sure it's gone both ways, where, like, she's been, like, this is a dad, I'm, like, nah, 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 this is true, and then I'm wrong, she's, like, see, and that, but I'm, I, 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 it must have. <laughs> and then you turn the game off and kick her out. <laughs> but it must have gone the other way. And it's so tense when you're answering questions in that game, because in most games, if you screw up, it's, like, game over, try again. But in this game, if you screw up, it's like, ah, you accused the wrong guy of murder. Next case. And, like, you just can't easily go back and, like, <laughs> try to try to just do it correctly. You have to, like, live with the fact that you messed up. You only get one shot at it. But there are problems with the game uh, well, that, that prevent it from well. being, like, you know, I, I like the game. And, obviously, I have a lot. I really respect the risks it took. But there's some, like, I think there's some fundamental problems with the game. 
the action scenes, I think, are really bad. Like, the shooting is really lazy. And that's something Rockstar does a lot is, like, if the, if it's not in the game that much, they just don't try that hard. Like, I think the stealth missions are kind of boring. Uh, there's one part in one of the cases, um, I think towards the end of the murder desk, where you're literally in a maze. You're in a hedge maze, and you just have to get to the middle of the maze, which is, like, the first thing they tried in video games. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's just an odd direction they've they took at that point uh, uh you know i i think the game is brilliant at po- like it flies high but sometimes you're just the particularly that last <laughs> murder case the one with the maze and you i don't think you've gotten that far so i won't get that into detail but if you oh, played you, you know you what I'm no no yeah. no but this is there's different desks there's like the traffic desk yeah, and, murder, yeah, yeah. and this is i think the last one in the murder desk i thought was really tiresome and really unfun. Well, yeah there are parts where, like sure to get through i think i think they realized they can't or at least they didn't want they took some risks about making it a much slower paced game and all about problem solving and but there's still the car chases and gun chases there's one part in which kind of feels like that and but I actually enjoyed it when you're you chase some you go to the set of the movie Intolerance which That's is this cool level, yeah. epic like just which enormous really, I think set. really existed in LA for a long time I believe uh, yeah and there's like um, just giant gangways of like wooden thing but it's all rickety and falling apart and there's this part where you're basically chasing this guy you're chasing this bad guy along the set and it's straight up like you're playing crash bandicoot yeah. because like you'll be running on some wooden planks and they'll fall behind you you have yeah. to like jump left and right and but the, the foot i do like the foot chases in the game i find those very like fun yeah they're just like from a different game it's almost like the game uses them for punishment like if you mess up the interview and you yeah. don't get the right information then it's like now you have to do a foot chase which we know isn't as fun as the thing you were doing like the game punishes you sometimes. Like, I accused the wrong guy of murder. My The commanding officer was like, get back out there and solve some street crimes until I have enough oh, respect man. for you again. I was like, <laughs> fuck off. I, just, I was like, this isn't a job. Like, I don't, have to, I don't have to impress you. I paid $60 for this thing. It's funny because you said in Red Dead Revolver, you'd mentioned that there, there was it, there's a similar thing where, like, you had, there's a period in the game where you're just doing like, you're just hunting and fishing yeah red dead revolver or is it red dead redemption actually yeah red dead redemption no one really talks about red dead revolver yeah, like it's, interesting. it's what's a, i'm trying to think of the movie equivalent we're like part part people two. like the sequel more yeah uh, i don't know anyway red dead redemption also takes some oh i mean the dark knight oh yeah the dark knight's a great example yeah. so red dead redemption also takes some risks at the end i guess this is a spoiler i thought this was one of the most interesting things i've ever seen done narratively in a video game at the so Red Dead Redemption, and this is maybe the only thing in the episode that I think legitimately warrants a spoiler, which I goes shows a lot about you know the yeah. way movies and games are converging. Where like yeah. I don't think it's warranted on Transformers Three, but I think it is in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Okay, I was a little wrong earlier. This episode needs two spoiler alert breaks. If you still haven't played Red Dead Redemption, maybe you're waiting for the 3D re-release on PlayStation 5. You should skip ahead about 3 minutes and 30 seconds. And once again, I guess I'm just going to kill some time while everyone figures out how to fast forward on their phone. All right, that's enough bubble bobble theme. Let's get back to the show. So Red Dead Redemption is all about you are trying to get the government is holding your family hostage mm-hmm. to make you uh, kill this criminal who you used to be with. And then you kill the criminal and then you get your family back. And, you know, you kill the criminal, and then he falls off a cliff, or I forget what happens. And then, any other game, that's that's game over. Yeah, you yeah. just de- defeated Bowser. 
and then you have to ride back home, and the game plays this song, which is rare that the game uses uses music very sparingly. So it's already, you're like, I thought this was going to be over. And then you get back home and you get your wife and kids back. And then you're just living with your wife and kids for a large, for a lot of gameplay. There's like an hour of gameplay, maybe even more, where you're you're teaching your son to rope cattle, which I thought was the most boring part of the game in the the first time through. You're like, you have to... Uh, you're, you're like retired. Like there's this one part where the birds are. Pecking. And that, does it ever go back to the main story? You can still go out and do side missions. Like there's like you can still pick up like because it's a Rockstar game, so there's tons of. So the game essentially ha- never ends. No, no, there's an there's uh. an end. So uh, you sh- there's one mission where these birds are like pecking at your like grain tower, <laughs> and you have to go out and shoot the birds. And like I couldn't shoot the birds, like I was just I wasn't shooting them fast enough. And you can't proceed until you do it. Like I kept getting a game <laughs> over. A, and it, like these darn birds. And I had to like go online and like look up like the, what weapon to use and what I was what I was doing wrong about the birds. Like this They're Monday. Like, like, have you tried spreading peanut butter like, on a pine cone? And I've like gone into Mexico and like conquered Mexico and like taken apart this criminal empire. But, like, the wife's, like, birds pecking at the grain tower. Like, that's the game over for him. So this is a narrative risk. This is something I haven't seen in video games before. But actually playing it, sitting there and teaching the kid to rope cattle, I thought was incredibly boring. And it failed as a game. The game eventually brings it around where, like, the government comes. And they're like, we got another mission for you, John. And he's like, no way. And the protagonist, who you've been playing the whole game, gets killed in a government shootout. Like, it's one of those... I love this video game levels that are designed to you're you're designed to lose. Yeah, you know, like, like um the the airport one from um. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's in Call of Duty. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah. The, there's the terrorist mission. You get where shot. You, where you, spoiler alert! You get shot in the head at the end of it. You're supposed to lose. Uh, this is one of those where you're supposed to lose, and then it's like 15 years later, and then you're the son, and then the son has like one last level where he takes revenge for his father. That seems like it sounds very interesting when I'm describing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But when you're sitting there playing the game and like leading the kid on a cattle run you're yeah. like why the fuck am it's I doing more, this it's more interesting from like a, video, a scholarly video game exactly. like what does this mean about gameplay like what does it make you think about but then actually doing it is just boring but I think it does go to show and I think Rockstar even though I don't love their games they're not my favorite games is on the front lines of this that the movies and games like are converging and like yeah. I think they're all everything's getting more mediocre but uh yeah the, what the thing that we go to the movies for, the thing that we like about summer movies, you can kind of see in video games too. Like God of War Three is like a lot of spectacle and mm-hmm. special effects that you can't see in other games, and it seems like maybe movies are certainly getting more video game like, and video games are are getting more movie like. And, and just to even tie it back to like Planet of the Apes or whatever, what's the actor's name? Aaron, Aaron Stanton, uh, Ken Cosgrove. In, oh yeah, yeah. The guy who plays Phelps. You know, this is the main the main character in L.A. Noire. Who's yeah. uh, Cosgrove on Mad Men? Mm-hmm. Okay, he, him. He, yeah, he his performance in that game is great. Mm-hmm. And there's you know there's a whole you know, read see pictures and read articles about how they did it. And but he has to tons of dialogue. He has to have questions, and he has a backstory, and he just and he gives a really good performance. And kind of like the like Caesar in you know Planet of the Apes. It's it's like what. There's no not that actors need more recognition or anything, but but, but um, how do you classify this? Yeah, like no one. It's a very interesting performance. Is that worthy of some kind of acting award? Does such an award exist? You know, it's a new thing, and I think that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two great digital performances this summer. Yeah, in two different mediums. Wow, it's cool. That's where we're getting at this whole episode. I think we may maybe accidentally arrive somewhere. Maybe we should call it here. No, no. Let's go back to Green Lantern. For a <laughs> 
Oh, you want to plug your blog? Let's talk about your blog for a sec. Which my, my which the movie blog or my yeah, blog? a ten year old what? What's the, what are oh, my options? Ten year old movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah t- talk about let's talk about ten year old movies before we end here. Okay. Because you have a blog that's that's terrific. It's called Ten Year Old Movies. How do I get there? It's what? Tenyearoldmovies.com. Great, you bought the domain. What yeah. what, what is there? <laughs> uh, it's just like a little like little short re- retrospectives on movies that came out ten, more or less exactly ten years ago. It was originally exactly ten years ago, but. That was like forcing me to review like really bad movies. So what have you reviewed there? Um, I reviewed um, Scream Three. I like that one. Scream Three. I think other ones. Space Cowboys was that on there? I didn't do Space Cowboys. Why do I think you did Space Cowboys? What was it? Down to You, which is a Freddie Prince Jr. Julia Stiles movie. And there are movies that like you don't. The cool thing about those was like teen movies are very. They kind of get at what you're trying to. I've noted in doing this, I've learned that like teen movies. I mean, the kind of idea is to see like. What subtle changes have happened? In, yeah, in the that's world what I think is so interesting years. about it is because you don't. You, they're not movies that seem like they came out a long time ago. Like Scream Three doesn't seem like an ancient movie, but if you go back and watch it now, it is from a different era, and you like identify yeah. how how that is. I was actually having I was having dinner with this girl, and we were just I went to college with her, and we were kind of like catching up, and uh, she was like. We were, she mentioned something about a movie that I reviewed on there. It's like, oh, I reviewed it for this website. She's like, oh, yeah, I know that. I've, I've gone there. And I was like, cool, cool. And she's like, I stopped reading because it, it makes me feel old. <laughs> what was, what's a good example of a movie? What's like a good... Uh, I remember there was... I thought there was a good one in Scream 3. What is a good example of something you saw in a movie where you're like, oh, man, this is totally from a different era? Um, actually, I haven't published it yet, but the last one I watched, and I, ha- I have to... Was um, the last one? I, the last one I watched, but haven't yet published, was um, Antitrust, which was the Ryan Felipe. That's ten years old. I felt like mm-hmm. oh, I'm thinking of Firewall. I think Firewall. The came Firewall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, this movie, it's a uh, Ryan Felipe and um, is it Harrison Ford? No, um, uh, I'm thinking of Firewall. Firewall gets <laughs> get Firewall out of your head, man. Uh, Tim Robbins as like a Bill Gates surrogate, and it's it's exactly the kind of you know it could not have been made like. Oh, any other week, let alone any other year. It's very specifically about uh, micro. It came out during the Microsoft antitrust case, and it's like a really bad like murder thriller that just that but using like this Microsoft computer very dated thing. And there's this whole like there's this whole subtext that the, the, the uh, in the movie about uh, open source software, mm-hmm. and like that's like the th- that's the message of the movie about like open source. It's a very pro open source movie. That's kind of cool. That's still around. Like that's still. I think yeah. that's, that's that doesn't sound that dated because that is still a thing that like I guess you know it's it's a movement that people are still behind and is still growing and like yeah. could still use some positive messaging. I was thinking more. I remember which one I was thinking of. The example of in Scream Three. Uh-huh. Th- there's a joke about a cell phone, right? Oh, that's right. What, yeah. What is that? Okay, so they're all like running around, and her and Dewey's Do- Do- like the goofball cop, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox was like, they're like, we have to find this one character. Where are they? Dewey, do you have her in your memory? And Dewey like thinks about it for a second, and she's like, I mean, cell phone memory. That joke has to be made at a point where people understand that cell phones can store numbers in their memory. Yeah. But before everyone had all of their numbers in their memory, it's such a specific. Right. Era. If you made the joke now, it'd be like, come on, no one would ever actually think she meant memory memory. Right. But if it was too early, it'd be like, what the hell is cell phone memory? As so ten years is just maybe the perfect amount of time. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Ten year old movies. Ten year movies dot com. Um. Yeah, it's a fun Ten year old website. Movies.com, Green Lantern. <laughs> what else do you need to know? Check them out. I'll review that one in 10 years. Thanks again for joining us, Pat. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. That is it for this week's show. If you want to know when the next episode is out, uh, you can look at a calendar because they come out on Tuesday mornings. 
or I'll just tell you if you follow my Twitter, that's at Jeff Rubin Show, my Facebook, which is just a Facebook fan page you can search for, or my Tumblr at Jeff Rubin, jeffrubin.com. I'll talk to you guys more next week. Bye.